Welcome to the EIQ Nutrition Podcast. The aim of EIQ Nutrition is to help coaches support their clients in the best way that they can. What makes the EIQ course different is that it's practical and applied rather than just theory-based. This is a recording from our weekly Q&A sessions in the EIQ group and all questions are from the students and the graduates. If you want to support your clients in the best way possible and be the best coach you can be, head to eiqnutrition.com for a ton of free resources and to sign up for the next intake of the course. Hi ladies, I have a client who is very fixated on the scale number. She is currently on a weight loss journey. I always tell her to look at other forms of progress, but she's been, but she's weighing herself mostly twice per day. As she's mentioned, she wants to see when she overeats slightly during the evening, if she's put on weight. Is there anything you could recommend me doing? I have said to take the weighing scale out of the room, but still struggling to even do that. So I'm not really sure what could help her more. We've tried cold turkey and that definitely didn't work either. Or the one to two days per week. Thank you. Um, I think, well, first of all, you'd start with just rationalising it, is that there is absolutely no way that you'll be able to tell what's happening body composition wise by weighing yourself more than once a day even day to day it makes absolutely no difference like if your weight has gone up from yesterday that tells you literally nothing about what's happening to your body composition if your weight trends over time up or down that's quite a good indication but what it's doing even during the like during a period of a day has literally no correlation especially given that if you ate 2000 calories worth of donut you're going to weigh significantly less than like even 1500 calories worth of whole foods right because there's more volume in it so there's going to be more fiber food volume things that weigh things like food weighs something so i mean make sure that she understands that which sasha i'm sure that you've already done um but if it's such a psychological issue that like she can't not weigh herself twice a day that that might be potentially beyond your scope if you've already told her all of this you've rationalized it and you've tried these approaches and she's not willing to accept that then i'd um i'd maybe refer out i agree i think sometimes like little experiments of like active learning it depends on the person this can be really patronizing but for some other people it can be really helpful of like okay weigh yourself and then go and have your coffee and then weigh yourself again and look the scale weight's changed or weigh yourself upstairs and then move your scales downstairs and weigh yourself again oh look the scale weight's changed and do little experiments of like that is how variable scale weight is so why do you think that it's so helpful to you to tell you something that is so variable like it's sometimes giving someone the knowledge is not particularly helpful but actually encouraging them to figure out the knowledge for themselves or to figure out or have the experience of it themselves repeatedly is the most helpful thing to do um and and I mean that's really the only other thing that I would say without repeating exactly what you've already said I'm really upset with how dirty I look on this can I just say that I don't look like this in real life yeah well do you know what are you using the zoom camera like the special zoom camera I am on, no, I'm using my laptop camera on my laptop oh. and my phone camera on my phone. Because I look significantly better on Zoom <laughs> right now. Yeah, you look like you've smoothed out your entire face on Zoom. <laughs> um, you know, Amelia, 
don't want to be rude or interrupt or anything. But I have to tell you, I hate you. No, I hate you. My heart was like, it's actually, it's really nice. I love when people start like that. Like, I'm really sorry to say this. That I don't want to interrupt. Oh, anyway, she said, I've been following you for quite some time and you're absolutely incredible. Just wanted to let you know. There you oh, go. Oh, thanks so much. You, you can interrupt me with stuff like that anytime you want. I'll take it, especially when I look like what I look like right now. I'll take it. Um, thanks. Okay, great. Do you want another question? Uh, yes. All right. Um, so many celebs are telling me I need collagen supplements for midwife, mid, midlife, <laughs> or for your midwife. Who knows? Is there any science to support this? Oh. Do you know I take collagen supplements? I did know that. So, and this is me not recommending that you take collagen supplements, FYI. Um, so we've had this question quite a few times on the on EIQ, haven't we? If you're talking about it in terms of for midlife I'm assuming I'm assuming when you're talking celebs in midlife you're talking about aesthetics right that's generally what celebs are trying to sell is the way that you look and when it comes to collagen specifically the research is in hydrolyzed collagen so in 2020 or 2021 there was a meta-analysis which is basically what we call a piece of research that takes together loads of different bits of research puts it together and then runs statistics on them and says the body of evidence that we have right now suggests this or not this, right? That's what meta-analysis, and we like them. And this study came out and it looked at hydrolyzed collagen and said that potentially supplementation, I think the dose was 10 grams per day um, in terms of subjective, so i.e. people, what people said, there was a slight reduction in aging. And what they mean is like, it had a slight impact on visibility of wrinkles, et cetera. Um, the studies were often funded by collagen supplement companies and small. And if I were to say, make a recommendation based on it, I wouldn't say to supplement with it, but I would say, look at like the cost benefit with any supplement, right? You're looking at the, the, the costs and the benefits of it. And the cost of collagen is not cheap. And realistically, when you look at it in terms of what else are you, can you doing? Are you wearing factor 50 on your face every day? Are you um, drinking lots of water and eating a diet rich in micronutrients and um, antioxidants, polyphenols and all of these amazing things and essential fats? Are you exercising regularly with your sun cream? Like, are you doing all of these things and are you nailing all of these things? And once you've got to that point, it's like, what? I've missed you laughing random, at random points. It's been a while <laughs> since you've done that. Once no, you've done only, all that. I was only laughing because I thought you meant like, are you exercising? The way you said with your sun cream, I was like, with a bottle of sun cream. But yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. I think like most people, this is true for broadly most supplements, right? People like, oh, should I take creatine? Is it really going to help me? It's like, well, no, not if you're not already. Well, I mean, actually in that instance, probably yes. But like with this, it's like, well, not if you're not already doing the, the bare basics, which are going to have a far bigger impact than the tiny impact of a supplement. I totally agree. Okay. Um... Hi, Luke. So you're high. Uh, Okay, heard on the TV that big insulin spikes can cause premature aging. Is there any truth in this? Do you want to start with this? 
uh yeah and i think yeah, and potentially there is but probably not because, because of the insulin spikes but probably because of what's causing the insulin spikes which potentially is being overweight and having poor glucose management and your diet so like that there probably is but you're probably worrying about like the downstream effect of poor diet and potentially lower exercise and higher body fat levels than like the insulin spikes themselves like what's causing the insulin spikes yeah and I think the thing is like we there's so much emphasis on insulin spikes as if that's something that we all have to control and manage and you know it's totally a natural physiological response to get an increase in insulin when you eat um foods predominantly containing carbohydrates some protein etc right it's totally normal to get that response and the issue with messages like this is that you go okay well big insulin spikes cause premature aging okay well i'm just not going to have a create any sort of increase in insulin in my body because insulin is bad okay so i'm just going to stop eating so much carbohydrates and i'm just going to like try and maintain this where that's not how blood glucose control works and we get like this the spike that you get from your meal of insulin it's not just like one point and then that's it and then that's all that you're looking at we're looking at blood glucose control throughout the day and what you eat for breakfast will impact like then what you subsequently the insulin response you get from subsequent meals and if you've done exercise there's so many contributors to this so it's like when you see something like this the be very mindful of what you're taking from it and then what you decide to do against it realistically what we're saying is okay well don't manage your blood glucose as much as eat regular meals make sure you're having a mix of macronutrients at each meal and you're having protein three or four times a day all of these things and that your exercise and all of these things will help in the best possible way manage your blood glucose in a healthy person you don't have to actively think about managing your blood glucose yeah okay yeah yeah you're thinking too downstream it's kind of like similar to the last question of like you probably don't need to worry about these things if you're doing all the other things right um we talk about this in the new mini series which is coming out what what end of this month end of this month start of august yeah so make sure that you are on the waiting list for eiq if you want that it is completely free and you'll be able to earn yourself if you pass the test at the end, discount off the EIQ course. Um, okay, while you mentioned creatine, any supporting evidence with creatine and HA doing a little bit of strength training, but keeping low intensity? Uh, there's no direct evidence with creatine and HA. However, I did a post on this a while ago. Um, I have a few hypotheses slash potential reasons why it's helpful. One, obviously, is muscle mass is obviously really important. And actually, when you have HA building muscle, it's a lot harder because of your um, the fluctuations in your hormones and your low estrogen. So muscle development in general is harder. So it's going to be beneficial for that. There are drops in cognitive, you see in cognitive impairment with HA as well. So like brain function and, and like executive function, etc., can be diminished. And it, uh, creating potentially, we see it in aging, has potential impacts in terms of cognitive decline. So again, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's not going to do any harm if you have some sort of cognitive impairment from your hormonal changes. So great. Um, there's also like... <laughs> With exercise and HA, you need to be really mindful of the intensity of exercise that you're doing, right? And you're trying to, the reason for that is that you're trying to minimize the stress on your body when you are exercising. 
I think potentially because creatine helps you with muscle glycogen storage and muscle um, water storage, predominantly glycogen storage, maybe that would have an impact in terms of when you're exercising. Maybe if you've got more muscle store muscle glycogen, maybe that helps reduce the relative intensity of training and potentially the relative stress on your body when you're training. Um, so there's zero evidence to say HA recovery is improved with creatine. But for me, there's lots of reasons why I would recommend taking creatine if you have HA and you're trying to recover. Yeah, and then there's also quite a lot of research now that supports slightly higher dosage of creatine during menopause. And given that HA has many similar traits to menopause, then potentially, again, like we don't know directly, but it's certainly not going to be a bad thing to take. But then I think there's the psychology of like, oh, I'm take like, don't think that taking it's like somehow protecting you from the effects of exercise on HA. Is it? It's not. Um, does water magically help you lose body fat? No. I think that, so I remember, actually, this doesn't happen quite so much anymore. But when I used to work on a different coaching program many, many years ago, like a lot of people seem to think that the reason that they weren't losing body fat was they weren't drinking enough water. And it's never that. But what can happen as a byproduct of drinking more water is that you eat less food, right? So potentially that you've either taken mistake um, hunger for thirst, or even if it's just like, I want to do something at my desk, so I'll drink water instead of just snacking on whatever's there there can be an impact there, but you don't need to have these like ridiculously high water intakes. I think the only other reason that it could be beneficial is if you're drinking so much water that you're going to the bathroom all the time and that's increasing your energy expenditure, which is also just gonna be massively annoying. So I think water has been kind of hyped up. Um, and when you look at like, this is one of the like classic things you get taught in sports science of like, where are the, um, hydration research yeah, came hydration from and it's all like say power aid like they have an invested interest in making you consume more fluids during exercise and their whole kind of business model is built off the fear of like dehydration um but it has no impact on fat loss like unless it's impacting how many calories you consume agree um you ever get the fear when you intake oh. 4th of September, Luke, great question. It Is opens it? the 4th of September. Um, it starts the 4th of September. So it opens the start of August. Um, okay. I also have a question. This one's for you. Do you really watch porn? Really watch porn? I find it so, there's so much stigma to women watching. Um, I occasionally watch porn. But I, I, I am only ethical porn. It's very oh, yeah. rare for me. I don't think. Really how do you find ethical you porn? Find like, do you have to Google ethical porn? Yeah, if you Google ethical porn, you'll see like webs, like people that review the websites, and then you just click on one of those links, and there you are, ethical porn. Oh, um, yeah. great guys! There you go. There you go. There you go. Ah, uh, yeah. There is for sure. There's stigma, but it's, it's all just stigma. It's all just like under the same umbrella of stigmatizing. The enjoyment of sex of women and it's like um it's wild that that still exists like how it's like the shaming of women for enjoying sex people we contribute it to it ourselves by not talking about it stop blushing emma see we contribute to it ourselves because we're like not not you like because 
I don't know, like, I don't know why it is. I think it's like in the past, obviously, patriarchy was like, oh, well, um, ladies, be a lady in the, what's it? Lady in the street, but a freak in the sheets. Like, why? Why can you know, not be a freak all the time? Like, why? It's true, though. Men can be. relates to watching porn. What, you're going to watch porn in the street? No, but you can talk about sex and not be, like, weird. Yeah. Oh, it's because someone asked me if I watch uh, wrestling, and I was like, no, I just watch porn like a normal person. Um, Emily's saying on live that you usually have to pay for it. Um, I've not seen any. <laughs> Sorry, I wouldn't know, but I'm just saying I heard it somewhere on the internet that you probably have to pay. <laughs> yeah, she says, I've not seen any, but there are really good sites. Also, audio porn sites seem to be nice ethical porn option. What? So you just I've heard about audio? Yeah, I've heard about this. Don't know if that would do, you know do that much for me. No, I don't. But then I feel like it's probably quite a good way of like getting more. Um, could do that on the be street. more connect, connect, connected, correct, and connected. I wonder if it's a way of being like more connected to yourself if you're just listening, and then you can you can use your imagination more rather than like watching something don't know yeah you could imagine your like who you actually want to have sex with rather than watching two random people what do you not just imagine yourself (laughs) (laughs) so do you not just imagine yourself (laughs) I had a a question but I thought they would come up on the live but then I realized they're on yours and I don't know how to get them which is very annoying um do you remember what it was can you remember Oh, something to do with, oh, something like, as a coach, I feel airy-fairy when I recommend things like journaling, etc. How do I not feel airy-fairy about recommending these things? That's basically what it was. Um, um, I, I mean, I can resonate with this because I definitely felt the same. Um, I think for me, understanding like the science behind a lot of these things was really useful. It's something that we go into quite a lot on EIQ as well. But like journaling isn't like, because I was definitely one of those who was like, well, why would I waste my time writing down stuff when I could just be like taking some action? But if you're repeatedly making the same mistakes again and again, you kind of need to figure out why you're making those mistakes and then come to some, what am I doing weird stuff? You know, I'm just looking at you as you're saying how she repeatedly making the same mistakes again and again. This is irrelevant to my own personal life. Um, then you should journal more, right? But you are kind of, the interesting science behind it is like um, the rewiring essentially of like your neurons and how you can change your behaviours. And actually that kind of blew my mind when I realised like that any trait about you, you can change if you really want to, if you put in the work to do so. So I don't think journaling is airy-fairy, but I think you can make it less so and more towards like your coaching style. So if, I mean, I did write a journal, but like if Mila and I wrote a journal, the questions would be very different, right? I'm a bit more like to the point practical, not that deep. And Amelia's a bit more like sensitive, actually emotive, like probably has like slightly higher emotional uh, intelligence than I do, right? So the questions would be quite different. And that's more like your coaching style. Same with things like on like another level, like check-ins are essentially forced journaling, right? 
and depending on your coaching style you might ask slightly different check-in questions yeah Mm. yeah I totally agree and then I'd also think like like I'm the same for me when I started looking at mindfulness and stuff it was like okay what does the research say about this okay we've got the evidence so that's fine Um, and I still think that's important I really do but then there's also evidence around having a faith in something bigger than yourself and that the that that contributes to potentially an overall an improved overall well-being um greater gratitude potentially better mental health in certain ways but this is not me saying journaling leads to like whatever stops mental illness or anything like that but the evidence there is, is around even like spirituality or religion can have really healthful outcomes because people have a faith and in something bigger than themselves and an interconnectedness a feeling of interconnectedness with the world and other people and that is really great for your health and that's not me saying like I'm not religious I'm for sure spiritual but that's not even though the the concept is airy fairy the outcome potentially is not and I would also say like looking at your like looking at your judgment of airy fairy like why do you have that judgment that airy fairy is negative and for sure a lot of it is like people using rose quartz to heal cancer like it's ridiculous but what's your judgment and your perception of people that do have faith and do practice these things and is that valid and is that fair because it's potentially it's your judgment of it that's potentially hindering your use of it with clients and, and potentially like benefiting from that yeah and then I think on a practical level like if you've worked with more than say probably two people right and a lot of personal trainers work with people to help them lose fat you'll know that like no one's getting incredible results from giving them a calorie target like if they and that would be like maybe the one in a thousand person who does and realistically they didn't need a coach in the first place like if you most people know how to lose weight right you can ask a kid how to lose weight the example that people always give like how would you get your dog to lose weight oh you exercise them more and you feed them a little bit less like we know that stuff that's not the hard part the hard part is actually it right so it's not it's not so much a practical thing like there are practical elements there but it's mostly to do with your mind but your actions and your thought processes are linked shockingly so sometimes you can kind of kickstart that like not waiting for motivation and just taking the first step of action because you know that's going to drive more motivation to take more action but also with like if you're like oh it's too airy fairy like none of your clients are going to get results just giving them workouts and calories that they don't stick to like it's the mindset piece that is important and that's the art of coaching really so if you're saying like I mean I'm extrapolating this out massively but like then you're saying well coaching is very very and then it's like well why are you a coach why are you a coach agree okay do you want me to find that cheerful note yeah um also emily said that she could send us over some um suggestions of porn sites if we wanted there we go yeah i'm good but emma might want some yeah well maybe yeah Oh, mine went away. Can you still see it? What? Can you see a question? No. No. Okay. Um, should we grow old gracefully or use things like plastic surgery? Do what you want to do. No, I have no. I don't care if Emma gets plastic surgery or facelift. I mean, I would like to know about it because I don't want to get fright. <laughs> 
but I don't care if she wants to do that. Like, <laughs> I think. I think this, right? I think there's cool evidence around having positive age beliefs. And something that I'm really intentional with is surrounding my social media with people who are older than me and flourishing and people who um, really talk really positively about aging. And I do reading around that. And and we know that there's some cool research around um, people that have positive age beliefs um can and have there's a there's a gene that's associated with an increased risk of dementia right and people that have positive age beliefs in this small study that was done had a risk of dementia similar to people who didn't have the dementia gene compared to the people that had negative age or just neutral age beliefs but did have the gene right so and that's one small study in dementia specifically, but there's other bits of research around what the, the potential health benefits of having positive age beliefs. So I think that is amazing and, I, and I'm certainly very intentional with it. But I'm also all for, I don't think, I think you can age and enjoy aging and have positive age beliefs, but not like the wrinkles on your forehead and get Botox. Like, I don't really think, mm. I don't care about people doing that. And I, I hate this narrative of like this a feminist, extreme feminist narrative of like, well you're doing it for the male gaze and like you shouldn't wear do the male makeup and you shouldn't get plastic surgery and you shouldn't lose weight and all of these things and it's like you do you you can you can have positive age beliefs you can be comfortable in yourself and you can still inject botulum into your forehead once every three months if you really want like I don't really think there's an issue of it in yeah. my opinion yeah I agree so like take home from that unfollow anyone that's under 30 on instagram because they're probably negatively impacting your age beliefs and then and i think it does it it kind of leads into like you have to hate yourself to change like okay well what if i like yeah i don't mind that i'm aging but i actually don't like that i'm getting gray hair so i'm gonna dye my hair doesn't mean like and then when people's argument is like you should just accept that this is part of aging like why because it's quite easy to fix and I feel better when I don't have gray hair like okay doesn't mean I hate myself it just means that I want to make this little change and the same argument that we see all the time with I guess like the more like body acceptance movement like you can accept your body and love your body and still be like but I think it could be improved in some ways subjective to me or even just like health related improvements it doesn't mean you have to hate yourself in order to do that Okay, are you ready for the last question? Wouldn't be I'm always ready. Live without Annie. So she's got one here. I have a client who feels burnt out by constantly making choices in line with her goals slash all the things that she has to do to support fat loss and she doesn't really know why. Oh, she doesn't know why she feels burnt out. Any advice on how to support her or experience with this in clients? She, she doesn't know why she feels burnt out from it. Yeah, I would assume so. I mean, it's unlikely that one of Annie's clients is going to be like, I don't know why I'm doing these things. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, hmm. So my thoughts would be, sorry, you're going to go. Cool. No. I was going to say, like, my thoughts would be, it is fatiguing. Like, making these choices in the moment again and again and again is really fatiguing so commit to it beforehand 
and then just like live your life right like instead of being like oh there's a saying it's like 100% is easier than 98% so if you're like I'm definitely going to go to the gym after work great you're going to go to the gym after work if you're like I'm almost definitely like 98% going to go to the gym after work that's so fatiguing because that two percent that you've left is like two percent to kind of like all day like oh I might go I might not oh yeah well if I've got time then oh and then you kind of like can I convince myself that I'm not going to go and it's same with like all the choices that you make and I'm not saying like you have to be a hundred percent on everything all the time and I would set people kind of like minimum targets and like optimal targets and the minimum should be like within your reach right I call them like non-negotiables and optimals but if you're like I'm 100% committed to hitting my non-negotiables then you don't have this fatiguing like burnout type basically argument with yourself every day of like will I do it or will I not do it so I already made that decision the example I always like of this is if someone's been if you meet someone who's like oh yeah I've been vegan for 10 years you honestly think they're making a choice to be vegan at every single time they eat no that would be so fatiguing they're like I made that choice 10 years ago now I don't really think about it that's just the way that I eat right similar thing with like how you want to live your life now there aren't as rigid constraints on that so sometimes it can be harder because there's a bit more flexibility within it but when you make those kind of choices even if like yeah if you've been I mean, veganism is probably one of the best examples, but vegetarian, whatever, like someone's made that choice years ago and they're not consistently still making it every single day. Yeah, I totally agree. And and on similar sort of vein, I think like telling yourself that that you're burnt out, telling yourself that you're stressed, telling yourself that you're too busy, telling yourself that this is a lot of work adds 10%, 20%, even more, not scientific number onto the stress the burnout the busyness that you already feel and if you're constantly saying oh my god I've just got so much I'm so tired from doing all these things you are going to be tired from these things so instead again coming back to okay well what choices am I making to be the person that I want to be and to live the life that I want to live and celebrate that and and practice gratitude for the fact that you're able to do that celebrate those wins every day and be like like again even every day you're still affirming that it's an action that you've had to take rather than actually just part of your life like protein is the prime example you don't get burnt out from eating protein three meals a day but I was speaking to someone recently who doesn't do that and I was like okay you could try this this and this and she's like oh that's quite a lot to think about and yes initially it is but it's like like you said stop making things a choice and just making them a habit of the person that you are um I think that can be really helpful but then I also think there's an element of I had this conversation with the client once where she was like, I just would really love someone to just come and just do everything for me for just like a day and I could just fall into a heap. It gets tired and just being. And I was, and I was like, it really is. And I feel like that sometimes of just thinking, I'd love it if someone would just do everything for me for one day. I, I didn't even have to answer a message, just everything. And you could probably do that. But it just accepting like sometimes life is feels like you've got a lot of stuff to do and you feel like you're on this constant hamster wheel of like never being able to stop and accepting like sometimes that will feel like that that will pass and can you create maybe a day where you do really just give yourself a break and just have like a complete sensory deprivation like get out in nature turn your phone off all of these things so you can restore and reset because this is your life and you're always going to be wanting to do stuff because you're highly motivated and you want to do all of these things and kind of normalize that feeling to some degree like she's not broken we all sometimes feel like that um and I think sometimes when we 
so much of the stuff is like you thinking it's just you so you start to pathologize it and you think there's something wrong with you or you need to change something with you and actually it's like you know collectively sometimes as somebody who wants to achieve a lot of stuff you're gonna feel like we feel sometimes like we don't want to do it just for a day and it's not not a reflection of our dedication or our love of what we do it's just sometimes you can get a bit tired and that's fine yeah or sometimes you've just not slept well like sometimes I've not slept well and I'm like my whole life is falling apart and then I'm like I just hadn't slept like but you can catastrophize these things and it feels like maybe you felt like that for ages but you're like no no it's literally just been a couple of days of like poor sleep or the week before your period like sometimes it's as simple as those things um and then the other thing I'll say that works quite well for me when I am at that place where I'm like oh there's like there's so much to do and I'm a bit tired and I kind of feel burnt out by things is just be like I don't actually have to do anything right so like you could go to this like you don't have to make any of these choices you can make whatever choice you want it's your life right take take all of the pressure off and a lot of the time when you do that always works for me I'm like I could just cancel all of these calls and then I'm like oh but I actually want to do them and that's the difference between like choosing to do them because you want to do them and it's that reminder of like oh but you actually love doing this stuff versus like sometimes we just end up piling the pressure on ourselves to be like like this is my fourth call back to back but I'm like I love EIP lives I love talking to Amelia like cool I get paid to talk to my best mate like how cool is that but you can pile it on and call it work and be like oh I'm so burnt out and tired but sometimes just that reframe of like well cancel it then and then you're like oh I don't want to cancel it okay right then do it and enjoy it instead of putting all this pressure on it Mm. I had one of those days today where I, I woke up this morning and I thought oh like I've got caught on the same like calls from eight till two I was like well, that's really that's really busy and then after every single call I was like well, that was great can't wait for my next one that was great can't my next one. wait for my next one and it's like exactly the same schedule it's just like that reminder of like this is great and of course like you always do have to pick up your kid from school and you're not always going to love the calls and the work that you do and we're very lucky for that reason but also all in perspective right mm. okay that was amazing thank you so much when when was that the eiq opens again um it opens in august and the start date is going to be the 4th of september just in time for my birthday on the 14th where we'll all celebrate it great i can't wait for that and also we're doing a free mini series that is going to cover what are we covering again can you remember well let me just tell you, because I wrote it down. <laughs> We're talking about um, dieting and keeping a good relationship with food and what happens when you don't keep a good relationship with food and how you can, yeah, that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about non-diet nutrition, how you can support your clients who shouldn't diet or don't want to diet. And when you feel like you're useless and you don't know what to do because you're not tracking macros, all the things that you can do. And then you are talking about I thought you'd written them down. Yeah, but remember, you changed. You're talking about... Yeah, I'm talking about um, um, glucose, managing your glucose levels and what you should or shouldn't worry about. And now I've completely written and finalised the next one and I can't remember what it is. Setting up a successful diet? That's it. Setting up a successful diet. And actually what I've really focused on is what a successful diet is, right? Which isn't just losing weight in six weeks or eight weeks or whatever. It's maintaining weight loss. And one, I found this really, really cool study on people who maintain weight loss. 
what their behaviors are and then like a ton of people so i think it was like over 10,000 people and they give they ask them like subjectively as well like what advice would you give to someone who wants to maintain their weight loss and it's so interesting like because they've obviously collated like all the advice and seen like the common things that come up so anyway if you want to know those things then it's literally free go to eiqnutrition.com put your name on the waiting list and you will be have first access to that i want to know those things yeah yeah Why? Okay. well well Okay, love you. Bye. Love you, bye.